Uh, amen. This, uh, a friend of mine sent me a, a meme, if you know what a meme is, you know, those pictures. And I was really struck a chord in my, in, 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 in my heart because he said, he was talking about, the meme talked about God, you know, and he's this beautiful sky and this person is sitting by the ocean, this beautiful ocean, and you see the waves and you see the beautiful sand and then you turn around and you see this this lovely green grass and all the trees and you realize how much God has done for you and for me. And what do we do in response? We go to church. And we think, yeah, that's... I said, what is the response to a God who gave everything for us? Not church attendance. It's got to be you, your heart, everything within you has to be the response. Amen. This morning I've titled my sermon, What Does It Mean to Be a Christian? Or What Does It Mean to Be a Real Christian, a True Christian? And I'll, I'll be the first one to admit that this is a very challenging topic. Yet it is something that needs, is vital, needs to be addressed in the world we live in today. Because there are people all over the world, and especially in the West... Because if you ask them, are they Christians, the answer will be yes. But their Christianity is very different from ours. So there is, in in the sense, a, a need to define what a Christian is and or who a Christian is. And that is challenging because we have so many different views. And the other challenge that I, and this this is more personal because it really challenged me preparing for the sermon too because I realized trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, how short I have fallen from what and who Jesus really wants me to be. And so excuse me if I repeat myself a little because it is challenging. Challenging. And I cannot tell you the number of times uh, I've heard someone say or someone ask me, they ask this question, I don't know if I'm saved or I don't know if I'm really saved. And I know some of us automatically think, well, that person who asked this question must be a young Christian. But honestly, it's a, to be honest, it's a question that I've heard people from young kids all the way to much older people who've asked the same question. Let me back up a little because... I need to say this, there is absolutely no doubt that all of us are going to die one day. And then all of us, each and every one of us, will stand before God and there we will be judged and we will either hear the saying, well done, my good and faithful Lord says, depart, I do not know you. Now I promise you, the sermon is not about scaring you out of hell into heaven. It's not that at all. Because I cannot and will not judge Who is going to be saved and who will not be saved? That's not my role. Because you can fool me the whole time. It's not my role at all. That's God's role. But my concern and my heart is for us to look at this, especially in, like I said, in the West and in the country we live in and the day and the age we live in, to look at this question because it's so hard for us to discern whether or not people are real Christians or not. Because some of the people we find and some of the church traditions, if I can say it, some of the churches, they have so bought into this whole idea, you know, eternal security, that's like this ticket that I've punched and I'm going to get there. My seat is reserved in heaven and that's it. So I do whatever I want to. Because I said that sinner's prayer, uh, I don't know, 50 years ago. I don't know. So that side, that's one extreme. On the other extreme, you have people who are living in, in, in constant condemnation because of all the legalism and all the other self-righteous junk that the church has put on them that they constantly doubt whether they're saved or not. This morning, I don't want to go on tradition. I want to go on what God says in His Word. Amen. Identifies those who are truly called by His name as Christians. How do we know we are truly Christians? 
Christian or how do or what does it mean to be a real Christian and I think this idea kind of is the that's the main reason uh, we, I'm going to look at this book in the Bible the book of first John is reason to identify what it means to be a Christian so turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the, the first I mean the first letter of John not not the gospel of John but first John's right at the end before Revelation a few books before Revelation It is literally right at the end, 15 minutes before, 15 pages before the end of your Bible. <laughs> First John. I've been meditating on Luke and John through uh, this whole time of, uh, of Lent or this time of what I call 40 days of devotion in my life. And turn with me, first of all, to 1 John 5.13 because that gives us the reason he's writing this book. First John chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Another translation says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's break that down real quick. These things, what is he talking about? The things that he's just written in this whole book, right? These things that are written in the book, who are they written to? To you who believe. It's written to believers, not to the people outside. It's written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. It is written to, if I can use the word, true Christians. Real Christians. And then the last part, it says there, for what purpose? It's written, these things, all that he's written, is written to true Christians for what? That upon hearing what he said, the word of God, the Holy Spirit takes that word, applies it in their heart, and when they have applied it in the heart, the Holy Spirit applies it in their heart, they know that they have eternal life, salvation. They know that they are real Christians. That's the purpose. It's very simple. It's that assurance of salvation. That's what they were looking for. It's not based on something that they read, heard, or felt. It's something that is based on what? The Word of God. Amen. That assurance that tells them they are real Christians, real followers, real disciples of Christ. What does it mean? So the question is, what does it mean to be a real follower? follower of Jesus Christ and first John gives us what I call several marks of that identify identifying marks identification marks whatever you want to say that teach us the nature of a real disciple and again as I read and I challenge you and encourage you to read these chapters it's just five chapters read them sometime when you go back today on the next couple of days because you can go with what the message and the word together because as you read it and as you study it, like I said, as I did that, it challenged me because I realized as a true Christian, I can read what this book says, especially in 1 John. And it, and it, challenges, it challenges me, but it also encourages me in my walk with the Lord. On the other hand, a person with a Christian label can read this. And be totally not challenged, not encouraged, and they can totally be happy the way they're living their Christian life. So it's up to you, really, allowing the Holy Spirit and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Amen. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? First of all, there's some prereqs, if you want to call it prerequisites. You know, that we all understand. There has to be, first of all, to be even considered a Christian, there has to be this conscious decision that you have to make. There's this conscious decision that we have. Of course, John 3.16, whoever believes that the Son, you know, whoever believes, what? Should not perish, but have eternal life. There's that conscious decision that we understand. God loved the world. He gave us a Son. And now when we believe in Him, we're accepting this gift of what? 
eternal life. That's just a prerequisite to even be considered a Christian. That's a conscious decision that we make to accept his death and his resurrection and choosing, choosing to follow him, to believe in him. And believing in him gives us eternal life. So you've got to ask yourself a question because it's a question we need to ask. Do we believe and trust in Christ alone? Or do we, like many people, not many people, I should say, some people I've talked to who believe in Christ alone, but there is something else added to it too. It's Christ plus something that I believe. Christ plus all the good things that I will have if I believe in him. I don't know what it is. Do you believe in Christ alone? Because there are many today who claim to have faith in him. But when you push them and, 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 and you see and you ask them what it is about. And this is prevalent in the church because you push them. You realize that as much as it is in Christ, there also is this element of self-righteousness where they think they deserve. You know, I made the sinner's prayer and now I'm living a good life. Therefore, I deserve to be in heaven. There's something about the way I live my life. Where it becomes Christ plus my works, you know, versus the sinner who's Christ alone. I don't know. Do we consider that as part of our lives? I don't know. Maybe, I know I did at some point in my life. Where I thought I was, you know, I've said the sinner's prayers. Now I'm doing, living a right life. Therefore, I will make it to heaven, right? It's not that at all. It's not that at all. What's wrong with this picture is because you realize, and it's, it's hard for me to put into words. It's, it's just sometimes we count on our righteous acts to get us or earn us a spot in heaven rather than relying on his grace and grace alone. A true believer is a broken person. A true believer mourns over sin. A true believer only has hope and joy and peace because of what Christ has done. A true believer does not delight in looking inwards, rejoicing in their own piety, if I can call it that. A true believer does not draw attention to themselves. But what they say is what the book of Psalms says, to you, O Lord, and to you alone be the glory. A true Christian does not, like I said, draw attention to themselves like the Pharisees did or boast about their own righteousness or, or exalt their own how good they are. Like that Pharisee who said, look at me. Because a true believer realizes that his righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags in the sight of God. And your righteousness actually stinks in God's eyes, his nose, whatever. A true believer realizes I have nothing except Christ and Christ alone. That's it. The older, and here's the thing, the older a person grows or the mature, the more mature a person grows in the Lord, they become more and more aware of this truth that they are nothing without Christ. They are nothing without Christ. He's very conscious, very conscious that I must decrease and Christ must increase in me. Amen. Now take that knowledge and compare it to the church we have. Not just here, I'm talking about the church in general and people we see in there. Let me say this real quick. A genuine believer can and will doubt their salvation at some point or the other. Maybe several times. They might doubt their own salvation, but they will never doubt the one truth that Christ is their only hope. That's it. That Christ is their only hope. And that's exactly what John is writing about. He's talking to believers, right? He's talking to believers who are asking the question, am I a real Christian? These are mature believers because if you think about it, when is John written? Towards the end, 90 to 180. A tradition tells us, where is John? He's probably, you know, writing, this letter is written to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, again, around Paul's time, around 50, 80. So these people have been Christians for a while now. And he's writing to them. 
who believe so that you know that you are a real follower in Christ. I'm writing this so that you will know. Anyway, let's keep going. To be even considered a Christian, first of all, there has to be this conscious, conscious decision we have to make to accept Christ, you know, this at first. And the second thing that I think is challenging, again, and of course, please, please remember, it doesn't have to be that one day when I, you know, not, not everybody has that one moment they can say, I believed in Christ. Some of us have grown. It's been a gradual process. Salvation has been that gradual process, you know. Because for me, like I said, I can't remember that specific day when I gave my heart to Christ. I don't. But I knew as I grew in the Lord, I had and I made the decision to follow him and accept his gift Amen. of eternal life. The second thing that I said is a prerequisite. The first one is a conscious decision. And I think this is as much... Uh, it, it's experience. Each of us has to have an experience. As much as we make that conscious, a, a conscious decision to accept Christ, there has to be an experience about something that happens inside of you. Amen. I believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit that you, that you experience experience at that moment of salvation and again this experience is subjective it's different for different people and it is an emotional experience but there is something happening inside of you you cannot deny it Amen. something is happening inside of me there is that experience that you will have it's either tears of joy there's this peace there's this moment of freedom you feel lighter because all of a sudden you experience what it really means to be free from the burden of guilt, sin, shame, you know, and you know in your heart that you've experienced something real. You know something supernatural has happened inside of you. And I know people say, hey, you know what, don't be led by emotions. And that's true, but don't deny what has happened inside of you either. Don't go one extreme or the other. Because this experience is powerful and should not be forgotten. You don't rely, again, we know this. We don't rely on emotions to grow our spiritual walk, no. But we don't forget what has happened because, again, the number of people I've talked to and they talk about that experience when they first, you know, accepted Jesus as their Savior and there's this joy in their heart and they have this feeling inside of them. Don't say, hey, don't be led by your emotions right there. No. As much as you make a conscious decision, there is something in your heart that just clicks sometimes. And so for a person to be even considered a Christian, like I said, people have said, I mean, they've sat there, they've been crying and crying and crying and they get up and there's this joy that is so evident in their lives because all of a sudden they're free. Amen. Because they no longer have to bow down to sin and everything else that has bound them. Amen. So don't deny that experience either. You have this knowledge, a conscious decision and you have this experience and that's where being a Christian really starts. It's fascinating, really, you know. It's just following Christ is not just a mind thing. It's not just taking on a, a making a decision to live by a new moral agenda. It's not that at all. It's something that happens on the inside, too. Something that you experience. It's more than just a human decision. True conversion is where everything, your heart, your insides change. And this is the reason because he says, you know, what does he say in Jeremiah? I'm not, I'm going to make a new covenant. The old covenant I wrote on what? On stone. The new covenant I'm going to write on their hearts. So there is this experience that we all need to have. This new, like I said, this evidence that needs to be, yeah, there is, yes, this conversion. There's this experience we have, but now starts the evidence. And Matthew 7 says, how do you know? You know by what? The evidence is the fruit they bear. It's the fruit they bear. And if you've been in church and RLC and heard me preach, you know this is a, it's something that I really, I really uh, value. The fruit you bear. And I was reading one this past week about how one pastor said, and it was pretty amazing because I, I don't care how much scripture you know. It's about what you do with it. Amen. The Bible does not look at how much comes out of your mouth. It's what you do with it, how you live, and what you are really like. That is the evidence of a truly converted person. Amen. And then he gives this example, which is absolutely, I laughed at it because I know I've used this example. He says, Jesus didn't, when Jesus was... Uh, <clears throat> When Jesus was tempted, how did he beat the enemy? And we always say, you know, he quoted scripture. 
And he says, that's the silliest thing possible because Jesus didn't beat the enemy by quoting scripture, but by living what he quoted. That's true. Because what? The devil quoted scripture too. And I laughed at myself because I don't think we think about that often enough. It's because he lived what he quoted. That's how he beat the enemy. Anyway, back to the text. Considering this, a mark of a Christian. Let's start with chapter 1 again and let's look at a few verses right here. You have this conscious decision. You have this un, uh, unmistakable experience that you have. And now let's look. Now that's the whole starting point. First John verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 5. And he says, this is the message. This is the message we have heard from him. And declare to you or announce to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now God is light. Now when we hear that, we, we automatically go to the whole idea that God is holy, he's pure, you know, and so and so. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But that is not what John is trying to say here in this, in this context really. Because you've got to understand, again, by the time John is writing this letter towards the end of the first century, there's this group of, like, the heresy that's spreading in the church, from which later became what we call the Gnostics. And they caused so much damage in the first three centuries. Because they were preaching their own Jesus, you know, whether he was God or old man. And there were all kinds of stuff going on in there. And so John's letter is primarily aimed at this false teaching within the church. And one of the things they taught is that God is not light. God is darkness in the sense that God is this mystery that is not really revealed to people. And it's only the super spiritual pious people who can really know God. That's the context in which he's writing. That's why if you read constantly, what is John? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then what does he say? The Word became flesh and dwelt. He's trying to show no God is real. He revealed himself to us. Yeah. If you read even the first part, actually read the first few lines of uh, 1 John. Sorry, let me get that. The first few lines of first chapter 1, uh, chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, it says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with the eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So he's fighting against these guys who are talking about, you know, God is this dark in terms of mystery, which we don't have. And only the super spiritual people can get it. Now he's saying, no, no, no. We've seen him. We've touched him. We know him. Yeah. And in that context, he's saying, God is light. Yeah. And this is what he's really talking. If I can put it together, he's just saying this. God is light. It simply means God has revealed himself to everybody. He's not a mystery hidden somewhere. He's revealed himself to everybody. He's not hidden. The common man can know God because he's revealed himself to us. Of course, their understanding is, you know, if not everybody can know God. Only the super spiritual can know God. That's why you need to come to us so that we can tell you about God. That was their understanding right there. But that's not what he's trying to say. He's saying God is light. Everybody, there is no darkness. There is no darkness. There is no mystery about God. Not just about God himself as a person, but who he is, but what his commands are. There is no mystery about God and his will in the word. He is light. There is no real mystery when it comes to that. And like I said, knowing John and his gospel, he's trying to reveal that self to him. And verse 6, he said, if we, and this is where it is, God is light, there is no darkness in him. And if we say we have fellowship with him, you could rewrite that. If we say that we are Christians, right? And yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. It's simple here. To have fellowship with God means you are a Christian or a believer, if you want to say that. If you don't have fellowship with him, you're not a believer. It's pretty cut and dry right there. There's no doubt right there. 
If you are a Christian and you say you have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. The word walk there, again, I know it's, it's something that you do, continu- uh, it's a continuous kind of thing, continuous kind of thing. It's like walking around, you're walking around, saying you're a believer, walking around. He's talking like Paul, the same word Paul uses and he uses the whole idea is about a lifestyle. He's talking about a lifestyle. You say you have fellowship with him, but your lifestyle marks as though you live in the darkness. Now, darkness, I know, automatically we think about witchcraft and demons and everything else. But again, in the context of Paul, what is he saying? You're living, light is God's revelation. You are living in, a, in your life saying that there is no revelation of God. That you do not know what God is. You do not know what his will is. You do not know what his commands are. You're living in disobedience. That's the darkness he's talking about here. Not spiritual warfare and everything else. There is, that is darkness too. But that's not what John is talking about. Now if we say we are Christians yet walk in a way that doesn't line up to the light. What God has revealed about himself. You're lying. The mark of a Christian is this. He walks in the light. Not in righteousness, but walks with the revelation of who God is and a growing consciousness of what God has revealed about himself in his word. That's what marks a real Christian. Who God is through his word. Again, it's walking. Is a, again, it's an action that keeps going. It's not just... And the, the interesting part about there, and we, and we need to be careful Because it's talking about walking as a period of time, not just a moment. Because it's easy to judge a person by one thing he does. You know, he's saved and all that, but see what he did right there. There's a difference between that. Or it's on the other hand, you can have a person who hates God and hates everything about God and does something good. And if you only judge him based on that one thing he he does, and then he'll say, oh, what a righteous man. No, it says judge on the whole, you know, on the whole, the walking. He's talking about a lifestyle. Look at a person's lifestyle. If it matches up with the word of God, the revelation, the light that God has shown through the word. That's the mark of a Christian. He walks in the light. He walks in the light. You don't judge a person, again, solely on one action or one moment of his time. You look at the way he lives and then you can tell whether he's a Christian or not. You discern whether he's a Christian or not. Again, please understand, you can be walking in the light but can live a very morally right life. But you can also be walking in darkness and still live a good life. Because I know a lot of people who aren't Christian who live good lives. Good is not the measure. The measure is are we living according to the revelation of who God is in the word. That's walking in the light. Walking in the light. Here's the questions. Do you walk in a way that contradicts what God has revealed about his nature, about who he is? Do you walk in a way that contradicts what God has revealed about his will? Does your lifestyle contradict the will of God when you know what it is? What he has revealed through scripture, are you walking in line with the world or contrary to the world? Are you walking in conformity, in the light, in the image of God or walking to set your eyes on your own self? The first identifying mark of a real Christian, true believer, is that he walks in the light as a lifestyle. As a lifestyle. Now this is challenging. Why? Because as believers and even the most mature of us believers, we sin. It's just the truth. We all do. So are we not Christians when we sin? I've had so many people ask me that question. Are we not Christians? Are we not royal believers? Are we just condemned because we've sinned now? See what John has to say because this is the assurance he gives us about walking in the light. Look at verse 8. Can I just say this? If you think you always walk in the light, you're deceiving yourself. Because none of us do. Here's the solution. It's not talking about condemnation and making us feel so bad. Verse 8. 
If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Man, he's getting harsher here. I mean, I already feel bad about the things I mess up with and now he's just making me feel worse. Where's this assurance of salvation that we're talking about? Please remember, he's writing to believers. And he's telling believers, if you say you have no sin, you are deceiving yourself. You're not telling the truth. Kind of harsh, really harsh there. Again, this is something I trust the Holy Spirit will just, because I don't know. I really don't know. I was struggling trying to put this into words. And I trust the Holy Spirit to just take them, what I have to say, and impress them on your heart. Because the more... Let me say this, the more the true nature of God is hidden from men, the more self-righteous you're going to find them. Let me put it this way. A self-righteous man does not understand the true nature of God and the true will of God. I say this because the more aware a person is of who God is and God's will, the more aware he is of his own sinfulness. This is not condemnation. Don't get that mixed up at all. It's not condemnation and not to tear you down or bring you low self-esteem. But the more men truly know and proclaim God, the more humility before God you are going to see and evidence in their lives. These are believers. They've heard now, if you are a true believer, you're going to walk according to the light. But they, you can, I, can, I can imagine them asking, but Paul, we, I mean, but John, we don't walk in the light. Not all of us. We make our own mistakes. So John gives them a second marker right there, right after that. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So one of the greatest evidences or another marker of a true Christian is that, okay, let me put it there. The evidence is not that you will never sin. Does it make sense? The evidence is not a sinless life. That's not the evidence of being a Christian. It's not living a sinless life. It's just become aware of the sin in life. That's the evidence of being a Christian. Now you recognize your sin and you see it as sin. As a matter of fact, if you don't recognize your sin as sin, you don't realize it's sin at all, right? Then you're walking in the darkness. That's evidence of a believer is that now he recognizes what sin really is. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not with us. God's truth implanted in us through the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Amen. Convicts us of sin. And here's the second marker. Like I said, it's this conviction. It's this awareness of sin. And verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Now somehow we've got this message for the people out there. This is not a message for people out there. It's a message for the church. Amen. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness, unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, I think one of the markers that John is pointing to as a true Christian, first one is about walking in the light. The second one is an awareness and a confession of our sin. An awareness and a confession of our sin. A true Christian is marked by brokenness and marked by confession. And this is the, this is the beauty about the scripture right here. Because this awareness that we are really sinning. He just said, you all have sinned. You all. The point here is not for us to hang our head low as sinners and confess all the time. That's not the point. But it's in that moment of brokenness and confession that we experience the most amazing thing ever. We experience the grace of God in our lives. The joy of salvation in the midst of that brokenness. It's in the midst of that confession that you experience the joy of God you experience the grace of God yes. if you are so caught up with your own righteousness self-righteousness you really will not experience his grace People who walk in the light, that's the mark of a Christian people who are aware of their sinfulness and are in confession. Again, this is not low self-esteem to beat yourself down and to just, you know, hang your head low. No. 
It's that experience with the grace and the joy and the peace that God gives through the Holy Spirit that makes us jump up and live for Christ. Somehow, again, please don't think the Holy Spirit, yes, the Lord says the, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin, but it also convicts us as believers of our own sin. Yeah, amen. Say we get up in the morning and we, we are impatient, frustrated with one of our kids, especially. We need to get to church on time. Impatient with our wife. Sometimes we're cold towards someone, wrongly cold to someone. We leave the house or we leave the building and the Holy Spirit begins to deal with us right then and there. That's the mark of a real believer. Because you're not callous to sin anymore. Because the Holy Spirit is working, bringing scriptures to your mind, realizing, prompting you, convicting you. Hey, you know what? You're not walking as a person who walks in the light. And that's the, you know, confession, especially in this point. I know we always talk about confession in terms of confessing our sins. But really, many of the times, especially when John and Paul write, confession is agreeing with what God says about you. And God says, you have sinned, you agree. You're like, yeah, you know, I was impatient, God. That is the confession. I was really brutal. I was really cold. I was really short with that person. That's the conviction the Holy Spirit brings. And when you confess, you're just agreeing with what God is prompting in your life to do. Confession is one other great evidence, one of the greatest evidence that you, you yourself have become a believer. Again, I'm not saying, please hear this I'm not saying a Christian cannot have the victory. I believe in victory. I believe in deliverance. I believe in total healing. So I'm not saying you can't overcome. But don't forget, confession is something different totally. Allow yourself. And I, I found this, this example, this illustration that I think brings the, brings the point home in a sense. You know, it says you, you're, uh, you're, you're not saved. You run into work early morning and it's late. You got your... You have your bag, you have your papers and everything else. And as you're walking out, you're running down the steps. The bag opens up and the paper's all over the place and it's snowing outside and everything is going wrong. And then you're ready, barely can get your life together and going out and your wife shouts, hey, can you take the trash out? And guess what? You snap back like, no, Scandi, I got to get to work. And you yell and everything else. And you walk out like that. Now, when you're saved... The same thing happens. You're walking out the door, you know, everything is falling apart, and the wife says, take out the trash. You still snap back and say, don't you know I've got to get to work again? Don't you know my life is such a mess? Why can't you do it? But the difference is this. When you get to work as a believer, there's something in there, this Holy Spirit working in your life that tells you, hey, you are not walking in the light and you've got to get it right. And so what you do is you pick up your phone. First of all, you fall on your knees and ask God, I confess. Yes, I get. I agree with you. I was a jerk. And then you get on the phone and talk to your spouse and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. That's the difference between a person who has been marked as a Christian and a true believer versus someone who's so callous to sin at all. That conviction of sin. You think that's simple? That's not. That's a lot. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That's a powerful thing when we realize that our lives are not right. Second mark of a Christian, like I said, is confession. Please understand, it's a constant. Yes, we are changed and transformed at salvation, but please realize that transformation is still happening. It will never stop happening because we're never going to be perfect on this side. And as long as we're not perfect, we're going to keep changing and transforming into the likeness of his son. Let me put it this way. Someone said this, and I love it. I've got a new relationship with God that now I'm saved, and the question was asked back. Okay, you have a new relationship with God, but do you have a new relationship with sin now? Because now you hate it. That's evidence. Third identifying mark. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Just read it and then we'll go through it. We know 
that we have come to know him. Again, this assurance. We know that we have come to know him if what? We keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. Man. But this we know that we, we but this we know that a person is a true believer. If he keeps his commandments. And it's kind of funny because in verse 3, he says it. You know, if we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commands. And then verse 4, he's kind of, kind of hitting it home real hard. He's becoming even more brutal there. Because whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commands is what? He's a liar. Man, that's hard. I just need to... If I could give you a, a penny for every time a person has come to me and or I've read and said, you know, you don't know what's going on in my heart. Don't judge me because I love God too. I think the answer is right here. If you love God, you obey his commands. If you say you're a real Christian, you will follow his commands. Obey his commands. This is the answer. I know that, I mean, how are you, the evidence that you know him is that fact that you keep his commands. If you say you know him yet don't obey his commands, you're a liar. Again, the word keep is the same, word, same idea of the word uh, walk. It's talking about a lifestyle. It's not talking about making that one mistake here and there. No. It's talking about a lifestyle. It's not talking, again, please don't get me wrong, it's not talking about sinless perfection. But it's talking about as much as you have a new relationship with God, you have a new relationship with sin. Because now you despise it, now you have a new relationship with the word of God itself. Because when you read it, you want to obey it. That's the evidence of a real believer. That's the evidence of a new Christian because now he sees God. God's word, God is revealed to him. He's in the light. He's revealed him. And now he's revealed his will to him through his word. And he chooses to live there. Chooses to live in obedience to God's word. Here's the truth. We are going to fail. At some point or the other, we will slip up. The evidence is confession, but also the evidence is what? Asking God for the power to obey. Amen. You can't do it on your own. We think we've got to get it right now that we're saved. You know, I'm embarrassing God. I'm driving. And I remember as a kid, they just emotionally blackmail us. Every time you sin, you're just taking the nail and hammering it through his hands again. And I'm like, oh, man, I feel so bad. That's not the point point is not to emotionally blackmail you to get your life right so that you get approved by God. No. The point is this. You need his strength to get it right. Amen. You need his strength to walk in obedience to God's word. Don't take his word and say, this is what God says, and so now I'm going to go do it. No. You've got to do it in his strength, in his power, by his might, not in your own strength. That is evidence of a true Christian. Talking about people who are, who are struggling, really struggling, struggling greatly. But their struggle is not from the desire to disobey God. Their struggle is because they really desire to serve God, but they are not meeting up. That's evidence. That struggle itself is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you. I love this example because this is how the devil works. You know, I'm a Christian, but I struggle to read the Bible. You know, I try to get up in the morning, but sometimes it doesn't work. You know, we don't, we don't do it. The truth is this, none of us do it as much as we're supposed to do it. But that knowledge and acknowledgement, that realization and that, that conviction is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Amen. But don't fall under condemnation because nobody, I don't do it. The truth is nobody does as much as they're supposed to. So get going, get and ask God for strength. He will give you the strength 
to keep going. He will give you the strength to obey what he says. That's another identifying mark is just a growing desire for God, his word. That's how you identify him. I want to know him better. I want to obey him better. I desire him more. I desire the things that he desires more. Honestly, you're not going to, when you are in that, that point in your life, you're not going to do, like in the book of Judges, it says, you know, they did whatever was right in their eyes. When you have a heart for God, you will despise when you go running after doing things in your own eyes. What you will do is try and do what God wants to do. You desire him and his will in your lives. That's evidence. The struggle is real, but the struggle is evidence. You need God's help. You need people around you who will walk alongside you to run that race. Another identifying mark, verse 6, right there. Whoever claims to live in him, sorry, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Man, that's so hard because you look at it. Jesus was this only person who lived a perfect life. Now, do I have to live a perfect life if it is to be like him? That's not what John is talking about at all. It's not about living a perfect life. That doesn't mean we go and do our own thing because we fall. You know, I'm sinful, so I don't do my own thing. No. It's not that at all. The point is this. Here, think about it. Jesus was the only one who fulfilled the law in every way. He's the only one who could make it to heaven by his own actions. The rest of us can't do it. We will never, ever get to heaven by living a perfect life because we can't live perfect lives. Then what is the whole point of saying be like him? The idea here is your goal. He's talking about something in the future. What is your goal? To be like him. That is evidence of a true Christian. When you live your life with that desire to be like him. To be like him him again this is not meant to discourage us but it is meant for us to focus our attention on where it ought to be who do i want to be like i want to be like christ and let me tell you this the evidence it is it is totally evident to those around you who you are living and wanting to live like if you go running, dressing like the world does, talking like the world does, and doing everything, you can say you're a Christian, but the way you live your life tells me what? You desire them. You're trying to be like them, not like Christ. Amen. I'm going to use a common example because when we observe kids, and you've probably heard this before. Who do you seek to imitate? And if you look at the lives of kids, you see this all the time. And I, can, I realize this with Aiden all the time. You see this at kids. Kids, you know, the dad or the mom, they're working and they're taking stuff. And you see the kids doing the same exact thing. They can't do it, but it kind of looks funny because when they try and do it, you know, walking through, trying to do something, and Aiden's there right behind me trying to do There is no doubt who he's trying to imitate right there. There is no doubt when you try and imitate Christ, there will be no doubt because the evidence is clear. Your desire is to be like him. And that is evidence that you are a real believer. He struggles and falls. He can't lift or how much I can lift. He can't walk as far as I can walk. He's learning to ride a bike. And he knows Nate and me go riding a bike. And so he wants to prove that he can ride a bike. Goes down, okay. But going uphill, guess what? He has to get down and walk. But he's seen me go up the hill, but he wants to be like that. And you know who he's trying to copy. We will know who people are trying to be like when we see the way they live their lives. Amen. Do we desire him and want to be like him? Because that's exactly what he says. Whoever claims to live in him must live like him. Is that your goal? Is that your desire? To be like him. I don't know about you, but I know there are times in my life very often that I sit down and I'm like, man, today I acted nothing like Christ. Golly, the way I lived my life today, I was a total jerk. I acted more self-righteous and more self-centered, wanting to do it my way and nothing like Christ at all. You know, that conviction is evidence that the Holy Spirit's working in you. 
wanting to be like Christ. I didn't speak like Jesus supposed to speak. And I don't know, you do that, I do it all the time. Man, did I really reflect Christ? No. Please understand this. Being like Christ has nothing to do with, nothing to do with the way we dress, the car we drive, the number of times we come to church, the amount of money we give to missions, or how much we give to the poor. If you want to know what being like Christ is all about, just look at the next few verses. Verse 7, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. It's kind of confusing. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not, write, I'm not telling you something new. It's something that's old, but I'm writing something new. There's a difference right there. This whole command is a message you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because of the darkness, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He's talking about walking in obedience in the light. He's talking about the revelation of God. Now that we've got the revelation of who God really is in his word and who he is as we read his word. Now we know this darkness is going away and this light, we're walking in the light and we see the truth of this light in his life as he lived it. And now we see that evidence in your life too. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. The biggest evidence of you being a Christian is a mark of love because God is love himself. Amen. That's exactly what he's talking about. You're never going to get along with everybody in the world. That's just a given. But there is no reason not to love them. Amen. That's what it says right here. I'm giving you a new command. What is this old? It's an old thing. We know from the beginning, Jesus himself said, love God, what? And love your neighbor, right? He said that right in the beginning and he's saying, doing it again right now because all of a sudden, what has been revealed to us? What's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Love was a concept. Now they see love in action, Christ himself, the evidence, the revelation of who love is. Now that we know who Christ is, we know what love is. Now we live like him in love. That's the mark of a real believer. That's the mark of a real believer. A newfound love for everybody around. Bow your heads with me right now. I have so much. <laughs> Understand what? He's talking about this new command. He's talking about same, very similar to what Paul said. When we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The love he's talking about, you know, we got to go back to what Jesus says. And I know sometimes he says, you know, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And I was in prison and you didn't come to visit me. And yeah, sometimes we talk about that love in terms of charity. I don't think that what, that's what the author was really trying to take there. Because the context in which they're writing it there is they have been totally been cast out from society. They've been made, basically, if you're a Christian, you're, a, you're, a, you're basically broken the law. And they get thrown in prison. Because they followed Christ. And you know, in the beginning, they met in the temples and in the, you know, in the areas. And then because of the persecution, they started meeting all different places. They would come together different routes, go back different routes so that not to raise the suspicion of the authorities. But some of them are, you know, were in prison anyway. They were caught and in prison. And then that's the context in which, you know, they get together. It's like, hey, if you were in prison and you were sick, bad luck. And that's the context in which they're writing. You know, it's like, hey, you know, our brothers and our sisters have been in jail or in prison right now. 
Someone needs to go and take stuff for them. Of course, people are so eager. Some of them are like, yeah, you know what? We'll do it. And then the people have to say, hey, you realize what you're doing. You're going there. You realize they've been arrested for something and you going and visiting with them. There is a strong possibility that you yourself will be imprisoned or killed. Yet some of them say, hey, we'll do it anyway. On the other hand, there are some of them who are like, man, I know Jesus. It doesn't matter. No, man, this is too much. Going out there, putting myself on the line and everything else, that's too much. That's the love. That's the context in which he's writing. You either hear the well done, my good and faithful, or you hear the depart from me because we don't understand what love really is. The love that may cost us everything because it cost him everything. A love that counts the cost but is willing to pay that price. That's evidence. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. That's evidence of a true Christian, a mark, mark, an identifying mark of a believer. That's when they divide, you know, the sheep and the goats and everything else. If you've asked yourself this question, am I a real Christian? Or if you look around and say, hey, What does it mean to be a real Christian? You know, I've said this in his prayer. I've had that experience that, you know, that it's just, I know that was real. But are you walking in the light? Walking in the light and yes, purity, but I'm not talking about purity and perfection right there. I'm talking about walking in the revelation of who you are and who God is. Another marker for Christian is this awareness for sin and confession. Again, this is not to beat you down, but it's for you to realize that it's in that moment of confession you will experience something that you've never ever experienced before. The grace of God. Hallelujah. Evidence of a true Christian is if you know him, you will obey his commands. Again, this is not about perfection, but it's about a desire to live in obedience. And when you mess up, you have this conviction in your heart that just can't let you, that does not let you go. There's this restlessness in your spirit where you've got to come and get it right in his presence. Obey his commands. You want evidence of being a true believer? Who do you look like, want to be like? The evidence is pretty clear. And I want to be like Christ. That's my end goal. My life is just on this journey of transformation every single day. I'm transformed into His likeness. Now, don't ever say that... Don't ever say, I don't know what God is like because that's living in the darkness. We live in the light. God is revealed to us. We know who He is like. We know what He is like. And we desire to be like Him. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working. Of course, the greatest evidence is this newfound love. A newfound love for God and for those around us. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. On the other hand, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. That's evidence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I told you this message is a challenge because, you know, we live in a world where people, you know, you can be anything and you can still be a Christian. 
cares what John says? To believers, this is how you know that you are in Him. This is how you know you have eternal life. This is how you know that you will be spending eternity with Him. This is how you know that you are really saved. Let's all stand to our feet and worship the Lord in that. Let's reflect on this word and I encourage you to go back and read this. It's a small, barely two or three pages. Read this book. They don't want you and anyone here to leave from this place beating themselves up in condemnation because they don't get it all right. None of us will get it right, all right. That's what he says. If you don't sin, you say, if you say we don't sin, we're lying. None of us will be honest. We're all on this journey. We're just in different positions right now. Let's desire him, who he is and his will in our lives. Let's worship.